0: Hey everyone, Andrew here. I just want to welcome you to the Mountain Park Church podcast as we begin this series in the book of Revelation. Yep, we're going to tackle it uh, over the next 12 weeks. We are going to walk through the whole book as a survey. So this isn't going to be an in-depth Verse by verse study. This is going to be a survey of the major themes and ideas and theology of the book of Revelation as it applied to John's listeners in the first century. And also asking the question Jesus, um, how do you want to make this real for us today? What do you want to say to us through this book? What do you want to teach us through this? And so, Our heart here, just I want to let you know as we even get started in this series, our heart in this is to posture ourselves with humility here. Um, As we re-examine this book, my heart as we teach through it is that you and I and everyone listening would allow the book of Revelation to speak for itself. Now, there are wildly different interpretations of what's being said in the book of Revelation, what it means, uh, how we should read it, how we should understand it in context uh, historically, but also in light of current events and what's going on in the world. And so um, with all of those things as the backdrop, I just wanna encourage you um, as you engage with us in this to just posture your heart in humility and invite the Holy Spirit to actually Um, convict and stir and teach and remind you and confront stuff in your life and uh, in your understanding of this book that he wants to. And I just want to give you a a little bit of background. As a kid growing up in the late 70s and the 80s, my perception of the book of Revelation was really shaped by uh, a Christian movie series and specifically the first one called A Thief in the Night. And um, if you grew up in the 70s or 80s in a Christian home, you probably were exposed to that. Uh, Truthfully, it scared the living daylights out of me. It literally scared me into the kingdom, but that's a whole other story. Um, This uh, viewpoint uh, as expressed in these movies was what I grew up in, in an evangelical home in Canada. Uh, The son of a pastor, this is kind of what I just thought Revelation was talking about. And it hasn't been until I've really uh, taken a deep dive into this book that I've begun to challenge and question some things. And so I want us to just lay down what our convictions about this book are, are sort of our deeply held positions on things and just to be willing to submit those to uh the text as we work through this and so i just want to encourage you with that uh this first week is an introduction to the book some of the major themes some of the major questions we have to ask ourselves and in the following weeks we'll be walking through in general two chapters at a time so i'm excited you're joining with us take a listen to this first week week number one as we introduce the book of revelation Okay, we are um, we are connecting into a new series um, for the next twelve-ish weeks. We'll see how things go. Um, in this series, um, I have a lot of fear and trembling with, um, and I, I just want to say at the outset, um, we are we have these. Uh, books of the Bible. So this is the book of Revelation. And it's just strictly Scripture. On the opposite page, there's just note-taking, journaling page. It's called the Scripture Journal. Um, We have these available. If you did not get one last week and you want one even now, they're $10 um, and you can pay after the service. But if you'd like one right now uh, so that you can follow along with us through this series... Um, you can just raise your hand and we'll come run around and and give you some. So there's a few there. If you guys can kind of do that. So the heart behind this is that uh, we want to get off our phones and into like the printed word for this series and give you a chance to just track with the Bible and your notes. So the heart behind this is that you just bring this with you to church because like, I mean, I'm guilty of this too, but hardly anyone brings their own actual Bible to church anymore because uh, we all have it on our phones and stuff like that. But the heart of this is that you would bring these to church with you. And as we're working through this book, that you would just be making notes on that page beside it as we're tracking through uh, this book of Revelation. We're, we're going to be using the English Standard Version, the ESV, uh, for this series and like I said, I have a great a trepidation in some ways in tackling um, this book. And I want you to know uh, right out of the outset, keep your hands raised if you, if you need one. Um, I want you to know just right out of the gate, our posture and my posture as we talk about the book of Revelation Um, And the posture of our house here, I'll use that word, of our house, needs to be humility. Revelation has been wildly interpreted in very different ways. And um, we actually need to approach this with humility and just come back to uh, a baseline of God, what does it actually say in there? And so I just want to preface this whole thing by saying I, my, my heart here is not to uh, offend anybody, but I'm sure by the end of this, every one of you will be offended in some way or another. It's not my point or my intention because we, we hold these deeply held beliefs about what we think Revelation says because of what we hear preached about it in popular Christian culture. And so here's what I'm gonna ask us together to do. In humility, would we just come back to the text and say, Jesus, we wanna learn from it in a new way again. And in humility, we want to actually be willing to be uh, course corrected where we need, convicted where we need. We wanna actually read this uh, with fresh eyes and perspective again. And so as we work through this series, I just, I'm gonna constantly be reminding us to come back to this posture of humility and holding our convictions about what we think Revelation says lightly. Aside from the bodily resurrection of Jesus that's mentioned in Revelation, the fact that he is the Son of God uh, and that salvation comes through him and him alone. We are not talking about doctrine or theology that we should divide over. So we shouldn't be dividing in the church over your doctrine as it relates to the millennium thousand year reign, whether that's literal, whether it's taking place now, whether it's gonna take place sometime in the future. We shouldn't divide over where you land with uh, the rapture, "Quote unquote, and tribulation, and the sequence of things that you think are gonna happen, those aren't things we should be dividing over. We wanna hold those with grace and humility, um, and we wanna invite the Holy Spirit to teach us some new stuff and come back to Revelation on its own terms. And so that's going to be our attempt, the heart of this series it's not, my, I, trust me, my goal is not to tick you off every week. <laughs> but it's going to happen. I'm pretty sure of it. Um, and as I've been studying in this book for the last year or so, my own posture and position, my own theology has been shifting. As I've attempted to come back to the book of Revelation, see it with fresh eyes, And meet it on its own terms. Okay? Is that a fair starting place for everybody? Can you you all agree to that? If you are angry with anything I say, email brenda at (laughs) mp.church and we'll be okay. I don't wanna hear about it. No, I'm just kidding. So today is really just uh, an introduction and This series is going to be what's called a survey, okay? So uh, this week and next week, we'll be stuck in in chapter one. But in the subsequent weeks, we're roughly tackling two chapters per Sunday. So we're not like verse by verse going through this. We're going through the major themes and ideas and concepts and some of the bigger picture uh, realities of the book of Revelation, And so just to set this into its context, as well, we're gonna try something different in this series. This is the only book that we'll see when we read it, the only book that says that you'll be blessed if you hear it and read it. So what we're gonna do in this series is each Sunday, we're literally going to read the full chapters that we're discussing that week. So roughly two chapters per week. It's going to take a few minutes, but we actually want, uh, again, God's Word to be read aloud in the context of the community. And when John penned this book of the Bible, his intention was that it would be read aloud in the church and by the church. And so each week we're going to have some different readers. If you're here for the whole 12 weeks, you'll have read and listened to the whole book of Revelation all the way through. And so that's just something we want to try that's totally different. Um, Don't be worried about how long I'm going to take preaching after that. It's going to be totally fine. So, (laughs) all right. Before we read uh, the first verses, there's a little too much laughter there. Before we... (laughs) Mark, <laughs> before we read those verses, I want to give you just a bit of context. So when we're, when we're reading and studying scripture, there's a few basic principles that are really important as a structure to follow. Number one, in case you're new to reading the Bible, the, and if you open to chapter one of Revelation here, you'll see there's a large one to start. That is the chapter chapter. Throughout, you're gonna see small numbers. Those are the verses, all right? So when we talk about chapter and verses, that's how it's delineated um, just in our text here. The other thing that's really important to understand is the Bible was written by real people in a real historical context. So here's principle number one. If you have your... Scripture journal. You can even write this in the margin on that first page. You see, I have some notes on mine. Um, And if you still need one, there's some back there. You can hop up and grab one. Here's the first uh, principle we're going to apply as we work through the whole book of Revelation. That Revelation can't mean something for us. It did not mean to the people it was directly written to. Okay, so here this may be your first point of offense with me. Revelation was not written to a bunch of people thousands of years later for them to interpret secret codes out of. It was written to a group of churches, and it cannot mean for us something it did not mean to them. Okay, so context. This is where context comes in. It's really important. There were real people that the Holy Spirit was prompting John to pen this work for so that it could be helpful to them in the first century. So this book was written probably in the mid-90s of the first century, around 96 AD. Some people say it may have been 65 AD, a lot earlier, but the general consensus is this was written around 96 AD. It was written... In a Roman context, so John is on the island of Patmos. That's an island they sent political prisoners to uh, for exile. So he was in a labor camp in his 90s, by the way, (laughs) um, on this island of Patmos, and he's writing to very real people around 96 AD who are living under the boot of Rome. Okay, so Rome as a government is in the front view here. And we need to keep that in mind as we read through the whole book that it was written to real people facing real things coming from government that they were under in their day. Okay, so that historical setting is really important when we are trying to discern what Revelation says, we've got to start there with what it would have meant to the person hearing it in 96 AD or 100 AD or 120 AD as it was being circulated through the churches there. Um, a couple general things as well for context. Revelation, a lot of people get freaked out by the crazy, vivid imagery and like the beasts with seven heads and 10 horns and 10 crowns and like beasts coming up out of the sea, beasts standing on the shore, women who are clothed with the sun delivering babies and beasts trying to kill them and snatch them. There's It's very vivid, very vivid. Um, in general, we're going to understand those pictures that John was seeing as symbolic, they symbolize something again that was not just for us today. They symbolize something that had practical reality and revelance for the people that he was talking to. So those symbols, those pictures, those things that we read about are largely symbolic. A word about numbers. There's lots of numbers in Revelation. You have gotta go either one of two ways. Either all of the numbers are literal or the numbers largely are figurative. My conviction is that the numbers are to be taken figuratively. And we'll see even here in chapter one how that works. If you take a literal view of the numbers, you have to do major historical revision to try and fit current events into the world of Revelation, and it doesn't work that way. So the numbers that we read are largely going to be figurative. They mean there's a a greater meaning and it's hard for us in our Western culture, like seven means seven. Like what else could that mean? But when this book was written, numbers had deep significance. And so we have to keep that in mind as we're walking through the book and talking about it. As... A book, this has three genres that are uh, used together to make up the entirety of the book. First, we're told that it's prophetic. This is a prophetic, not pathetic, prophetic book, okay? And what's important to understand, there's two primary functions of prophecy. One is forth telling so that is actually just declaring what is true about what's going on the the true reality of what's taking place according to god according to scripture even so forth telling is a part of prophecy and the second component is foretelling that's like here's what's coming in the end here's what's coming down the road i don't want to offend you again but what we're gonna find through the book of Revelation is that the majority of the prophetic is forth telling, not foretelling. There is some like, hey, this is gonna happen in the future, but that's a relatively small part of the book, interestingly enough. Much of Revelation is forth Here's God's perspective on what's happening. And that leads into the second genre of the book. It's apocalyptic. When we hear that, we think of the movie Apocalypse Now and all, like danger and doom. But the word apocalypsos in the Greek means to unveil or uncover, to reveal something that was previously undisclosed. So the title of this book in Greek is actually the Apocalypse of Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean the the, uh, destruction narrative of Jesus Christ. The Apocalypse of Jesus Christ literally means the revealing of Jesus. An apocalypse is something that you pull the curtains back and you see what's behind the curtain, or you take the the lid off of something and you see what's actually inside. So this book is apocalyptic in nature in that it's revealing something, something you could write in the margin, a key question or a key thought for us as we're reading this, to have through this whole book is things aren't always as they seem. What you and I see with our physical eyes and experience in our senses are not always what they seem. There's two functions of an apocalyptic type of literature and you can write these down. These actually fundamentally changed how I view Revelation. Apocalyptic literature seeks to set the present, okay, so our right now moment, in light of the unseen reality of the present. So the first function of apocalyptic literature is to set our present reality, the reality we all experience around us, in light of the unseen present reality of the moment, The second function of apocalyptic literature is to set our present reality in light of the unseen reality of the future. Do you see what's gonna be happening through this book? Is Jesus, as he's giving this vision through an angel to John, what Jesus is saying is things aren't always what they seem. And there is a present spiritual reality that is taking place right now. And Jesus is wanting us to see what he sees from his perspective right now. Part of Revelation also is Jesus saying, I want you to see from my perspective what's on the horizon. And so Revelation is actually a counter image. We just finished our counter form series so that kind of idea might be familiar. Revelation is a counter image. As John is seeing these visions, essentially what is happening is God is saying, things aren't what they seem. And there's a greater reality, a different vision for life that I have. It's a different vision than what you see in the major cities. It's a different vision than the cultural vision you're immersed in. It's a different vision than the government's vision. It's a different vision than your own personal sort of get well, uh, you know, get, get affluent and, and have security vision. There's a different vision I have. And that's part of what apocalyptic literature does. I have just two quotes to help you understand this more. It's taken me some time to grasp this. The first one, Revelation wants us to take its word to be even more real. Just think about that. Revelation wants us to take its word to be even more real than the one we commonly refer to as the real world. In fact, Revelation is out to undermine our confidence in the evidence of our own eyes. It wants us to leave behind once and for all the idea that we can see with our eyes and hear with our ears all there is. Second quote for this as it relates to apocalyptic literature. The apocalyptics, and that's not a cool band name, that's a a writer of apocalyptic literature. The apocalyptics sought to maintain the faith of God's people in the one All powerful and righteous God. So notice where the emphasis is turning. It's turning to see things and realize reality from God's perspective. In the face of the harsh realities of the evil, of evil in the world, especially the political evil of the oppression of God's faithful people by the great pagan empires. The answer to this problem was always essentially that despite appearances, it is God who rules his creation and the time is coming soon when he will overthrow the evil empires and establish his kingdom. That's the function of apocalyptic literature. The last genre of writing this is, is it's a letter. This book, Revelation, is actually the longest letter in scripture. This is a pastoral letter written to people who were experiencing great hardship and persecution. We can't miss that. John was a pastor. He's exiled on this island of Patmos, and he's struggling because he knows the people he loves most are enduring suffering. And he's writing this whole book as a letter to them to show them what you're seeing is not the whole picture. what the pain you're experiencing is not the whole picture. The realities you're facing are not the entirety of the whole picture. This whole book is a letter, and we have to keep that in mind. So this whole book begins to pull back the curtain of the unseen realities of the present and the unseen realities of of the future in light of what you and I are experiencing every day. This book was written for real people in the first century, but it was also written for us today, that we could actually be uh, blessed and encouraged by it today. So I wrote this description down. You could jot down a, a little bit of this. Revelation is a prophetic, pastoral letter written to the church to give them a counter image of reality from God's perspective to help them interpret. That's so key. This book is going to help us interpret our world from God's perspective, not ours. And that's one of the the great struggles we're gonna have in wrestling with this book, in wrestling with the content of this book, is it's going to continue to invite us to interpret our world and the realities of it from God's perspective, not our own. Being faithful to him while living like Jesus in their present circumstances in light of the unseen reality of the present and the unseen reality of the future. So the major themes of Revelation are God and Jesus. They're all through this whole book. Another major theme is the terrible conflict that's taking place in heavenly places. Another major theme is prayer. I want you to even write this now. What we're gonna see through this book is that prayer moves history. That your prayer life and my prayer life affect things on the earth. That's a major theme of this book, that prayer is not nothing. Prayer engages things in heavenly places that move along the purposes of God in humanity. Another theme in this book is suffering. This is a huge one and we're gonna struggle with this. We're going to deeply struggle with this because this theme of suffering is that Jesus, the Lamb of God, the the way through victory, the way to defeat sin was not to overpower and demolish it with strength. It was to walk through suffering. And this book is going to call us to follow Jesus in the midst of suffering, not to be whisked away from it, not to sidestep it, this book calls us to endure suffering because our king did, and it was the way through which he brought victory over sin and death. Another major theme of this book is compromise versus holiness. This is huge in here. This book, if from beginning to end, asks the question, who do you serve and what has control of your heart? This book will challenge us and it challenged the first readers who were compromising their faith in order to fit into Roman culture and systems and structures in order to be agreeable to the world around them. We're gonna see that they were challenged by compromised, and this book is gonna challenge us, who is your Lord? Who has the affections of your heart? And what are you going to do when push comes to shove? Are you gonna compromise and become more like the culture in the world around you, or are you gonna become more like the Jesus you say you serve? Another major theme is how to overcome. We're gonna see that. Lastly, a major theme is hope. Here's the triumphant exit of this book, and the message is the outcome is secure. This book, more than anything, is a declaration of hope for us today. And it's going to give us keys for how to live uh, following Jesus. So here's a couple of questions uh, that you can ask. And I just want you to jot these down as, as, uh, just to stir you as you're reading through this. First question that this book is going to ask us to ask is where our true loyalties lie. What are you truly loyal to? in your life the second question this book is going to ask us is where are your true values where are they the third question this book is going to ask is what is really the most important thing in your life the fourth question this book is going to ask us is what would you be willing to die for The fifth one, this is a convicting one. What does the evidence of your daily life say? What does the evidence of your daily life say about who you're really following? Lastly, this question we're gonna be asked over and over through this book is what kingdom Are you a part of? This book of Revelation that we are going to be studying is going to invite us to follow Jesus. That's what it's going to do. We're going to see in here that we're invited to follow the Lamb wherever he goes. This book is gonna invite us to follow Jesus wherever he goes. This book is gonna invite us to become like Jesus. And here's what I have in brackets. Our tendency, and we're shaped by culture and by Hollywood and whatever, Jesus is not Iron Man Let's just get that out of the way. (laughs) Jesus is not Iron Man. If we're going to follow him, then we must become like him. And Jesus was the lamb who was slain. A man well acquainted with suffering. We have an aversion to suffering. But if we're going to follow in the way of Jesus and become like him, we are following the lamb who was slain, who was well acquainted with hardship and suffering. I want you just to make a note here, and we'll get to this in a few days. Those who follow Jesus into battle. This is so key, this is this is counterformational right here, because I know where your head is going if you're like me, when I said follow Jesus into battle, I kind of know what might have been going through your head. Those who follow Jesus into battle are carrying palm branches, not weapons of war. You're going to see through this book that we are never depicted as engaging in war. And I may have just ticked a bunch of you off with that, but we'll walk through and you'll see. Those who follow Jesus and are making and engaging in battle with him are carrying palm branches, not swords and spears. Let that just penetrate for a moment. Lastly, and maybe even this is more penetrating, those who follow Jesus follow him into defeat from the perspective of the world. Just let that sink in again those who follow Jesus from the perspective of the world follow him into defeat. But that defeat, according to the world, is the prelude to great victory. So this book is going to call us to follow Jesus. It's going to call us to lay our lives down and live like he did, but it's gonna challenge us at every corner with who is really Lord in your life? What are the values that you hold most deeply? And are you willing to enter into the life of Jesus? I'm gonna to read to you the first few verses of Revelation. I'll just invite you to stand. This is Revelation 1, 1 to 9. I'm going to read these. these will, this will be our closing kind of benediction. We'll have lots to say over the next number of weeks. The revelation of Jesus Christ. This was from Jesus, and this whole book is about Jesus. Jesus. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. That word soon there means shortly. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. What Daniel saw as far away, John says, I'm now living in the reality of what Daniel wrote about thousands of years earlier. Verse four, John to the seven churches that are in Asia... Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. I just want to make a quick note there again. So we're getting into symbolism. Most scholars believe this is, the word seven means complete and perfect. Okay, so just put that in your mind. Seven means complete and perfect. Most scholars believe what he's saying here is the Holy Spirit, he's referencing the Holy Spirit, who is the fullness and completeness of God himself. This is a Trinitarian view here. The seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, his faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Again, he's establishing here, this is going to be our perspective. The bodily resurrection of Jesus is essential. Jesus' lordship over all the kingdoms of the earth is essential. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, and to him be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. You can circle that word dominion or underline it, behold, he is coming with the clouds. I just want to make a quick reference there. In scripture, clouds are most often a reference to the presence of God. He's coming with the fullness of the presence of God. He's coming with everything that comes along with the presence of God. We see clouds in the Old Testament as a, as a demonstration, a visual representation of the very presence of God. What is John saying here? Jesus is God. He's coming in all the fullness of God. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Let me just pray. Father, we approach your word with humility and not presumption, And you know I'm terrified to get into this. You know uh, that I'm struggling with even wanting to put myself out there in these next number of weeks. But I'm just asking, your word is so much bigger than me. I'm just asking that you would be honored as we step into your word and that you would bring deep transformative work into each one of us as we submit ourselves to it and walk under its authority in our life. Father, I pray that as we even read your word out loud each week, that you would work powerfully in our midst. And more than anything, that you would teach us to see as you see our families, our world, our government, our pain, our suffering, our victories, that we would see from your perspective, the unseen realities of the present but also the unseen realities of the future we just submit ourselves to you father i pray your blessing on every family represented here this week i just ask jesus that you would hem them in that you would uh, watch over them i ask father that you would shelter them in the shadow of your wings Bring healing and restoration, renewal and revival in every home represented here. And in Jesus' name, I just forbid you, enemy of God, from stepping out and working in retaliation to the things that God is gonna be doing in our midst over the next 12 weeks. We just cut off any points of access that you might have. We restrain your influence. And we command every spirit in the unseen realm to be subject to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Cover our homes and our families, our children, our workplaces, our schools. In Jesus' name, amen. (laughs)